This is The Writer's Voice, new fiction from The New Yorker. I'm Deborah Treisman, fiction editor at The New Yorker. On this episode of The Writer's Voice, we'll hear Kate Walbert read her story, Marriage Quarantine, from the December 6, 2021 issue of the magazine. Walbert's novels include A Short History of Women, His Favorites, and Our Kind, which was a finalist for the National Book Award in 2004. Her story collection, She Was Like That, was published in 2019. Now here's Kate Walbert. Marriage Quarantine Mary Jane follows her husband, Daniel, from room to room, words pouring out of her, yammering, or hammering, as he has said, as if she must hit every nail on the head. What does he mean by that, she wanted to know. What do you mean by that, she had asked, but Daniel shrugged. No idea, he said. She follows Daniel into the living room, where he sits in the big blue chair he likes to relax in after dinner, watching home improvement shows on his device. Mary Jane has her own device, though she is slightly less captivated by its offerings, the games and apps and streaming services, which is not to say she is above it. She is definitely not above it. No, just slightly less captivated. She often checks the weather in several cities. But where was she? Living room, blue chair, Daniel. Has he put in his earbuds? They disappear into his ears, so she's never sure until she spies the tiny white tube of plastic, stem of plastic, bisecting the earlobe. There was the time in law school when Daniel decided to pierce his earlobe with something, a safety pin? She hasn't thought of that in years. Daniel looks up as if not quite remembering Mary Jane, or maybe he did not register her following him into the living room in the first place. Regardless, here she is, or there she is, a bad penny, an aching back, an errand to run. She wears what she always wears these days, her fuzzy sweater and leggings meant for yoga. Her hair is pulled into a ponytail, though that sounds considered. She most likely has not brushed her hair at all. She most likely has grabbed the shank in one hand and stretched an elastic band around it. This she most likely has done first thing in the morning, after splashing cold water on her face and brushing her teeth noticing the dank smell of the formerly soft white towel in their bathroom and commenting on how that happened so quickly. Has he noticed as well? And didn't she just do the wash yesterday? These are the things she may consider as she grabs the shank of her hair and comments on how it has never been longer, not even in law school, stretching the elastic band around the mass of it, looping once, then twice. To her recent question of whether he likes it gray, Daniel had answered, depends. What do you think, she's asking now. Is it a good idea or a so-so idea or a terrible idea or what? I can't decide, she says. I mean, I vacillate or fluctuate. I can never tell which word is right about the whole thing. But the question is, would you? I mean, what do you think? Do you have thoughts, she says. To his credit, Daniel did not jump into the whole home improvement fad when everyone else did during the past year. It's been a more gradual thing. And for a long time, he hopped around from show to show, never quite deciding if it was a waste of time or if he was learning something useful, something he might eventually apply to his own life. His father had been a hobbyist, which is to say his father had had many hobbies, including refurbishing old furniture from junk shops, chairs and dressers, and the occasional table. Daniel remembers the basement. His father kept his complicated hardware there in a fishing tackle box. 
When you opened the box, the drawers popped up and out in three tiers, and all its contents, tangles of coiled copper wire, pins and dowels, drilling screws and machine screws, hex nuts, flat nuts, washers, caps, carriage and toggle bolts, were suddenly, majestically revealed. The fishing tackle box sat on the hollow core door that sat on the sawhorses that served as his father's work table. His father sat on a metal stool he had salvaged from a dump, three-legged and rickety. Next to the work table and the rickety metal stool was the broken-down Victorian sofa that had belonged to his father's mother, a woman Daniel had never met. Her name was Gertrude, and by all accounts, she had been a beautiful woman with a certain flair. The broken-down Victorian sofa was a testament to this. The way Daniel's father told it, Gertrude had bought the sofa with the paltry allowance she received from her no-good husband. Its sturdy, ornate frame, cherry, and silk upholstery as grand as the parlors and drawing rooms it had passed through. If that sofa could talk, Gertrude used to say, and it was true, it looked as if it had a few stories to tell, although now it sat next to the rickety metal stool and the makeshift work table, silent. Something about Gertrude's death had taken the spunk out of it, according to Daniel's father, and so he let it be as he puttered in the basement, recaining a rocking chair, the Victorian sofa, flecked with mold, having somehow lost a claw, forgotten. Given Daniel's father's hobby, you might think that Daniel had learned the names of all the complicated hardware in his father's toolbox during the hours the two spent together in the basement, but Daniel's father preferred his hobbies solo, switching on the light outside the basement door after dinner, and then descending alone the flimsy stairs, dangerous given the shaky banister and the concrete floor below. Daniel had learned the names much later, long after his father had passed on. Sometimes, as a child, Daniel had imagined flicking off the switch outside the basement door, throwing his father into total darkness. Then his father might be devoured, or at least momentarily terrified by the wet toads that lived in the rain gutters just outside the basement windows. They were hard to see, but Daniel knew they were always there, camouflaged in the brown decaying leaves that no one ever bothered to clean out. Mary Jane has no interest in home improvement. She has other fish to fry, big fish. She wants answers to life's questions, or at least discussions about them. If these questions can't be debated now, when time has slowed to a standstill, what does that say about all of it? What does that say about everything? Besides, the children are far away and no longer children. Every few weeks, she sees one or the other in a kitchen or against a dark window somewhere, the reflection from a desk lamp exploding like a dead star. During the call, she tries not to look at her own face, her long hair, her eyes through the smudged lenses of her glasses, the crepey skin of her neck, how vain or Daniel wandering around behind her as if it isn't much his business. Communication. Children. Did he get that from his father? It would have been a reasonable question to ask, a thing to discuss. Genetics, epigenetics, heredity, personality. Moving on to energy, the extraordinariness of light, quantum mechanics, the whole wave and particle thing she's never understood, though she's trying. Something about collapsing electrons, neutrons. Entanglement etc. But the point is, did he get that from his father? Law School, Chicago, 1973. Around the time they first met, Daniel had told Mary Jane how toward the end of his parents' lives, Daniel, a late addition, 
His mother and father spoke only through the dog. Mom would say, tell Carl yada yada. And then dad would say, tell Barb I'm aware of that, but I thought we'd first yada 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 yada. Six yadas, that must have been some conversation. You get the idea. What breed? This isn't about the dog. But if it were a basset hound or something with those ears, I could picture it, an ear like a walkie-talkie. That would have been funny. It wasn't funny. Sorry. She was a mutt, regular ears. A hound mutt? Newfie mutt, curly black hair, little white on her chest. Never mind, Daniel said, and went back to his cheesecake. Where had they been? A student union, a booth. This after the class with the professor who had studied with Nabokov at Cornell. The two of them laughing at the idea of the professor, lost in Cornell winters, teetering on the icy edge of the gorge. Then, once the weather cleared, joining Professor N to bound through high meadows in search of Lepidoptera. Daniel had ordered the cheesecake with the canned, viscous red cherries lumped on top, the gooey cherry sauce. He ate it with a plastic fork. She drank coffee, black coffee from a styrofoam cup. She remembers best the look of Daniel's hands, beautiful hands, surgeon's hands, hand model hands. His nails filed or just naturally rounded smooth. Why does it matter, the look of Daniel's hands, the look of the cherries on top of the cheesecake? But Mary Jane would say of first loving her husband, plastic fork, cheesecake, viscous cherries. This particular episode, if Mary Jane were to ask Daniel, features a couple from Ontario interested in expanding their brood. As young professionals leading very busy lives, they have decided to knock out a few walls and to reconfigure the attic to accommodate their growing family. Unlike so many others, this show is not about the speed of the renovation, but about quality and structural integrity. The young couple, thumbing through volumes as heavy as the OED, have learned that the attic was originally a third floor before being converted in the very early 20th century to an attic, or what was then called a ghost floor. Given the number of children who did not make it past infancy and accounting for the devastation of the influenza epidemic at the close of the First World War, these ghost floors allowed parents to literally push daily reminders of past lives from their minds, allowed the house itself to annex the space and leave it empty. On the ghost floor, the quiet had dimension and weight, an unspeakable presence. The husband explains all this to the wife, who sits beside him but seems not to have absorbed the same information from the heavy book. She nods, a sad look on her face. So interesting, she says. I'm not spooked, the husband says. Daniel has never heard the term ghost floor. He'd like to mention it to Mary Jane, perhaps she's aware, and discuss his own ideas regarding structural integrity, things unseen but present, the unaddressed, He's been hatching a plan, he'd like to tell her, to open the walls on the second floor and verify what he suspects may be balloon framing. Are the joists dowel-pegged, hand-hewed, or band-sawed? It's really quite exciting. But when he looks up from his device, his vision speckled and hazy, as if he'd just emerged from a double feature at noon, he sees that the evening clouds have cleared, and Mary Jane has moved to the patio. She looks to be deadheading the daisies. Where did you come from? Who are you even? Daniel had wanted to ask. This soon after they eloped, 1975, and there were too many other things going on. 
the bar exam, a baby, someone's campaign for local office. Besides, it seemed to be the wrong question or questions for obvious reasons. Still, at certain moments, it felt like Mary Jane was an introduction that had gone by too quickly, the kind that left you pretending you remembered a name even years afterward. She was raised in Greenville, Delaware, she had told him. Her mother and father lively retirees who played racket sports on weekends with a circle of friends and canoed down the Brandywine River, loaded to celebrate birthdays and other special occasions, a ritual. And as a child, she traveled through Oklahoma with a magician, long story. She had a half-sister and a half-brother, and together the two made a whole sibling, mercurial and far away, living with a hippie mother in Elk, California. Only once had she gone with her father all that way to see them. She remembered how they ate chocolate and walked along the broken edge of the coast. Seals had been promised, but the seals were under the white-capped and furious waves. The waves broke against the rocks where the seals were supposed to be and then fizzled out into the far ocean, the foam drawn back as if it were a curtain on a dark stage. She couldn't see a thing. Where are the seals, she'd barked at her father and the other two, but no one seemed to hear her. She shouted against the whip of the wind and felt dry strands of hair in her mouth, itchy, annoying. No one heard her. No one ever heard her. That's what she remembered, she told Daniel. And please, Mary Jane, I'll never forgive them. She had asked him to call her MJ on their first date at the student union, or maybe later while they smoked cigarettes and stood around the quad, too cold in the brutal wind off the lake. By the bicycle rack, she teased, is this a girl's bike? She was not someone who knew anything about flirting. Yard sale, he said. He knew nothing about flirting either. They walked along the lakefront despite the cold, and he pushed his bike. She told him how she had traveled across Oklahoma with a magician, a friend of the family who was really just a creep who needed someone to saw in half, hold the dove, and wear the outfit. You know, she said, the leotard. And in the wind, her long red hair blew crazily around her face as if it were a thing on its own. And he stopped and reached out, instinct, to push it from her face so that he could see her. And she said, thank you. She stopped and said, thank you. This part he remembers best. The daisies, purchased and planted at the height of all this, have miraculously survived the winter in their big clay pots and are now sprouting, blooming, and dying again. It all feels important, profound, life. The green of their new leaves, the small white buds, the bright yellow eyes, even the dried brown chrysalises she pinched with her shears. She never much liked the flower, but it is useful, dependable, resilient, a friend. What does she even mean by this, she thinks as she clips. She cannot keep her own thoughts, her questions straight, and random sentences, odd sentences, float around and sometimes surface, like the vague answers to what she used to ask her magic eight ball alone in her bedroom in Greenville, with its orange shag carpet and wallpapered walls, bright yellow daisies, daisies. Will I be married? It is decidedly so. Will I be famous? Don't count on it. Will I have a girl and a boy? Cannot predict now. She remembers Greenville as a long hallway leading to her bedroom with the daisies on the walls, and empty afternoons watching soap operas, eating snacks, her parents always elsewhere. Did they talk through a dog? Ginger Stanhope, her therapist, had recently asked. 
We had cats, she said. A joke, but Ginger hadn't laughed. Ginger not exactly the laughing type. She sees Ginger on Tuesday mornings, sitting in her son's room, better light, waiting to be let into Ginger's space, or face, as it were. Ginger, a younger woman with a habit of tilting her head and squinting as if the words, Mary Jane's words, were exploding particles, waves, pockets of light. Ginger's office is God knows where. This is all very new, an orchid strategically placed on a low console behind her, a door leading out. Occasionally, a child's voice can be heard in the distance or someone playing the cello. Mary Jane suspects that Ginger's claim to the title of therapist may be a bit tenuous, an undergraduate degree in sociology or a year of study at Teachers College. But at this point, eight months in, it would be rude to ask. We all hold trauma, Ginger had said last week, every one of us, in our bodies, in our knees, our toes, our pinky fingers. Ginger lifted her fingers and wiggled them. Trauma? What did Ginger mean, trauma? Hadn't Mary Jane been speaking of other things? Of her childhood? Of the vacation she took with her father to Elk? The half-sister and half-brother cavorting with him ahead on that walk? The fury she had felt? What would happen if she flung herself off those cliffs in Northern California, bounced to her death, dashed on the rocks below, the jagged boulders that did not hold even an inkling of a seal or the suggestion that a seal had ever been there before, her father might as well have promised mermaids or sirens, the rocks black as pitch and as furious as the ocean, the tumult of clouds. She had told Ginger only this, how she had stopped to look at the frenzy of weather, to stare hard, forgetting everything and forgotten when she turned around and saw her father moving on with his other children, a grown boy and a grown girl who looked nothing like her. Trauma, Mary Jane had said to Ginger, it's just a story. Mary Jane and Daniel awoke to rain this morning, rain that lashed the trees and pelted the windows, flattened the tulips and daffodils, knocked the gutters. Everything rearranged, angry. Mary Jane eventually found her muck boots and an oilskin jacket in the back of the hallway closet. If one knew nothing about her, it would not have been unreasonable to imagine that she was on her way to the stables or to grab a wicker basket and her favorite fly rod. She had always had that way about her, Daniel thought, watching, windswept, rushed, a cup of black coffee in a styrofoam cup. Where are you off to in this weather, he might have asked. But he knew better. He knew the answer. Lately, she has a vision of what can be accomplished in a morning. She digs holes for annuals, moves stones from here to there, crawls on hands and knees to divide the perennials, the lilies and the irises, which are so packed in, she's complained, they rarely flower or even sprout, their roots a tangled mass, dormant. You're wrong, he had said to her. She'd walked out of the bathroom, looking for something. It was that long when I met you. Oh, her hair, he means. Yes, she said, I suppose. Used to wear it wrapped up on the top of your head or covered with that bandana. I remember, she said. The pink one. Yes, 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 she said. Couldn't he see she had things to do? My sources say no. I liked it when you wore it loose. Talk, talk, talk. You could not shut the man up. But that was then, in the bad weather, before the storm cleared and the sun broke, rainbows undoubtedly somewhere, before this purple late spring sunset. Now she's come in again. He's looked up and she's here again, waiting. His wife, Mary Jane, 
MJ for a time until they both grew bored of it or simply forgot why MJ had ever felt dangerous and slightly sophisticated. The two of them kids in front of that judge in Chicago, Mary Jane barely showing in a miniskirt, heels, her beautiful arms bare, her red hair past her shoulders loose, a crown of dandelions on her head stitched earlier during the picnic they'd shared in Grant Park before heading on a lark to the courthouse. It had all seemed a lark, the judge, marriage, forever. Now she stands here waiting, shears in hand. She has said something to him, a request or a demand, a question. Daniel tries to remember. I mean, I'm asking, she says. What do you think? Do you have thoughts? She says. Were they barefoot before that judge? It was a bright summer day, and someone, a clerk, had tucked a white carnation in the lapel of his Goodwill suit. It smelled rank and sweet. Yes, he says. I do, he says. Then the judge concludes the script from which he's been reading and waits for the newlyweds to embrace. That was Kate Walbert reading her story, Marriage Quarantine. She's been publishing fiction in the magazine since 2007. You can hear more New Yorker fiction read by the authors on newyorker.com and on the New Yorker apps available from the App Store or from Google Play. On the New Yorker Fiction Podcast, we invite writers to choose stories from the magazine's archives to read and discuss. This month, Ben Lerner reads In the Name of Bobby by Julio Cortazar, translated from the Spanish by Gregory Rabassa. You can subscribe to that and other New Yorker podcasts by searching for The New Yorker in your podcast app. Tell us what you thought of this podcast by rating and reviewing The Writer's Voice in Apple Podcasts. Our theme music is by Jordan Batiste and Ross Michaels of North American Plastics. The Writer's Voice is produced by Michelle Moses. I'm Deborah Treisman. Thanks for listening.